Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Days of Roar, a Detroit Tiger podcast brought to you by the Detroit Free Press. My name is Mark Borach. I'm here with Free Press beat writer Evan Petzold, who is in Nashville, Tennessee, at the Major League Baseball winter meetings. He's consumed 14 beers, three tequila shots, and he's been stalking J.P. Morosi. Talk to me, my man. Yeah, none of those things are accurate. I'm doing well, though. Yeah, good travel day today. The Opryland Resort and Convention Center in Nashville, Tennessee is pretty crazy. I'm not going to lie. I walked in there and it was just like, there was a lot of stuff going on everywhere. Like there's like plants and bridges and there's a river inside the convention center where and there's like a boat ride where you can actually get on the boat and then take it for a ride around the convention center and the river that's inside the convention center, which is just wild. Like I've never seen anything like that. The place is pretty big. There's a lot going on. Obviously, the week is just getting started. Going to be here. Obviously, got in today. Going to be here Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, heading out Thursday morning after the winter meetings wrap up. Tigers have already made two moves. They went out and got Mark Cannon to trade with the Milwaukee Brewers. They signed right-hander Kenta Maeda to a two-year, $24 million deal. The question kind of now is, is, hey, what's next? And what happens across the board with all these different free agents? I mean, what happens to Shohei Otani? What happens to, you know, Yoshinobu Yamamoto? What happens to, you know, Blake Snell, right? Like these are all different questions that need to be answered. And the Tigers are just kind of somewhere in there waiting to see how all this unfolds. Well, there's a lot of things to do. There's still a few things I'd like to see the Tigers do. But let's get first to the week in review. So while you're having fun in Nashville, and Casey Musgraves did call me and ask me what hotel you were staying at. Don't tell Savannah. But the Tigers name, some new coaches, move some things around. Give me the fast down and dirty about who's getting promoted and what's changing. Yeah, I think we're going to hear even more about this over the next couple of days. More about details as to why certain moves were made and then probably some other um, additional details as well. But for now, we do know that Anthony Iaposi, who managed AAA Toledo last season, is going to be the Tigers' first base coach. We've hinted at that on Days of Roar numerous times now going back. I've written about that.com. But now I feel good about locking it in and reporting it. Anthony Iaposi new first base coach for the Detroit Tigers. He joins third base coach Joey Cora as a newcomer on manager A.J. Hinch's coaching staff for the 2024 campaign. So with Iaposi joining Hinch's staff, that means that there is an opening at the managerial spot in AAA Toledo. That spot is going to be filled by Tim Fedorovich, who was the catching coach for the Tigers on their big league staff last season. He has some history you know, managing at the AAA level. He did it with the Seattle Mariners back in 2022. Then the Tigers picked him up as our catching coach. And now Tim Fedorovich is going to be the AAA Toledo manager. We also know Gabe Alvarez, who was in the running for the job that Joey Cora got, doing third base and infield in the big leagues. Gabe Alvarez is going to be returning to AA Erie as the manager there. Also a little bit of a shakeup in high A West Michigan. No longer is it going to be Brian Pena's squad. Brian Pena has transitioned to catching coordinator where he's going to rove around the minor leagues and train all the catchers, you know, throughout the organization. So Brian Pena, no longer manager of the West Michigan Whitecaps. Instead, it's Tony Capicelli, who has been the bench coach for Triple A Toledo for the past two seasons. So I know that's a lot. I'm throwing a lot at you guys, but some moving parts highlighted by Tim Fredorovich, new manager at Triple A Toledo, Tony Capicelli new manager at High West Michigan, and Anthony Iaposi, new first base coach of the Detroit Tigers. Just part of how they continue piece by piece to try to modernize player development 
although Brian Pena was not necessarily a great defensive catcher, I hear he has a lot of skills teaching the position. So being promoted to catching coordinator is probably a good thing. For sure. I think it's also noteworthy too, Mark, that they hired all these guys internally, right? Like they didn't have to go externally to find guys to fill the roles. And I think that that was important. I think that speaks to what Ryan Garko has done in building up the player development department. I mean, they don't have to go look externally. They have guys that they all speak the same language in terms of how they want to teach up and down the organization. They have guys in place that they trust. They, they have guys they can trust to you know, promote them essentially, right? I think that says a lot about where the player development department is at now compared to where it was in the past. I think that's a really big deal. Also, I think it's important to note Anthony Iaposi has a ton of history coaching hitters. I know he's coming up to be the Tigers' first base coach, but also you know he's going to be hands-on in the batting cages. He's going to be hands-on with game planning and, and things like that. I mean, this is a guy who was a hitting coach for the Texas Rangers, Chicago Cubs, and he was the hitting coordinator for the Boston Red Sox as well. So he has a deep and long history of coaching hitters. I would expect more of that as he joins the Tigers' staff. Yeah, and they lost one of their hitting coaches to the Yankees. So it sort of makes sense that, you know, Iapochi kind of fills a void, you know, in that sense, you know, now that they they were down a man from last year. So little synergy there, probably a good thing. The big news for the week is old Tiger skipper, Jim Smokes Leland, was in, you know, chosen to enter the Hall of Fame by the Veterans Committee this year. I'm sure you've had many in interaction with Smokes. I've had a few myself. One of the great characters of baseball had just a ridiculously great career. Wish he would have had another World Series that he could have earned in Detroit to add to the resume. But, you know, an outstanding career. And as I said, one of the most entertaining characters in the last 40 years of baseball. Yeah, he's really as good as it gets. I mean, this is a guy who 22 seasons for four franchises, obviously a really long time with the Detroit Tigers and somebody that Tigers fans know very well. So yeah, he was voted in to the Baseball Hall of Fame on Sunday by a 16-member Contemporary Era Committee. He was on the ballot for managers, executives, and umpires, and he got 15 of the 16 votes and was able to get in. And yeah, I mean, look, Jim Leland's a great guy. I mean, I, I never got to cover him as a reporter, you know, covering him as a manager, but I have gotten to share a lot of good conversations with him, whether that's at PNC Park when the Tigers are playing the Pirates on the road, whether that's at Comerica Park when Jim's in town or even down in Lakeland, you know, when he's around for spring training. So many good conversations and, and just somebody that you enjoy talking to, you enjoy asking questions both about, you know, the game that, we now, you know, see as played right with new rules in place and all different things like that. And obviously just unwritten rules, right. That are in place now that maybe weren't in the past. And, and just to talk through different eras of baseball and his experiences. I mean, he's just a wealth of knowledge and he's funny too. He's fun. He's funny. He's somebody that like the moment that I started covering the Tigers, like, I think my, I think I reached out to him one time and like, he got back to me right away and wanted to have a conversation with me. And that meant a lot to me as somebody who was just coming out of college, starting on the beat, you know, when you call Jim Leland and you leave him a message and he gets back to you that same day, that's pretty special. And that means a lot. So he's done a lot of great things for me and somebody that I always enjoy talking to. I'm really happy for him. I think it's well-deserved and I know he's going to be excited to give his speech on July 21st, 2024 in Cooperstown, New York. Yeah. Great guy. We'll talk to anybody. Straight shooter. I remember the first time I met him and a youth baseball tournament in Novi, Michigan, when he was doing a little advanced scouting for the Cardinals, taking some time off. Patrick was playing. Patrick played for a team from Beaver Valley, Pennsylvania then, which is one of the best teams in the country. Patrick was playing up two years, and I've told the story many times, but we'll skip the story tonight. My son doesn't love it when I tell the story, but... Smokes is a lot of fun, man. Always the life of the party. And congrats. Hopefully goes in as a tiger, may go in as a pirate. We'll see. We'll see what happens there. It should be interesting. May go in with no hat because, you know, yeah, obviously won a world championship as a Marlin. So you got he's got a lot of imprint on various organizations. And often when that happens, they do not put a team designation on his hat. It's impressive, too, all that he's done. I mean, he's a guy who's, 
you know, won so many games, right? And if you want to go through the wins and you want to look at the totals, it's 851 games with the Pirates, 146 games with the Marlins, 72 games with the Rockies, and 700 games with the Tigers. Those are his wins added up. Ranked 17th in games and 18th in wins on the all-time leaderboard. One of two managers in baseball history to win three straight division titles with two franchises. He three-peated in the National League East with the Pirates from 1990 to 1992 and in the American League Central with the Tigers from 2011 to 2013. Took the Tigers to the World Series in 2006 and 2012. Obviously came up short in those ones, but he does have that World Series that he picked up with the Marlins. And then also, he's the only manager in baseball history to win a World Series and a WBC title. He got that done with Team USA in 2017. I mean, that's his resume, and it's amazing. I mean, he's somebody who has done everything in this game, from managing 3,499 games across 22 seasons, making eight postseason appearances, winning the 1997 World Series, three-time manager of the year. That's Jim Leland. That's a Hall of Famer right there. Like I said, congrats to Smokes. Great career. A lot of great stuff. I just got a little DM from our hockey buddy, Max Boltman. Sent me a little heads up. Trade just got made. Mariners are trading Jared Kalenic, Marco Gonzalez, and Evan White to the Braves for Jackson Cower and Cole Phillips. Holy smokes. I'm a little curious about that trade, but we're off, baby. First trade of the winter meetings and not a small one. So I don't think we need to dissect a Braves-Mariners trade. I just thought it was fun to... Right, uh, not involving the Tigers either, right? Not, not involving the <laughs> not Tigers Not a small either. one, but not involving the Tigers, no. So, but, you know, that being the case, let's uh, talk about some things that did happen this week. We've gone over it, but finally something you and I have been discussing for three weeks, which is the likelihood the Tigers would add a veteran starting pitcher in... More likely than not, that might be Kenta Maeda came to fruition this week, signed him to a two-year, $24 million contract. Uh, We've dissected this a little bit. Really was tremendous in his last about 80 innings. You know, talk, talk to me a little bit about it. We talked about it a little last week, but you had a chance to talk to him through an interpreter a little bit, got a little deeper. You talked to Scott Harris a little bit about it. What'd you find out? Yeah, obviously a deal that the Tigers are really excited about to be able to bring in a pitcher like Kent Maeda. We've talked about it before already, Mark, but he does a couple things for you. Not only does he, you know, really help you stabilize the rotation in 2024, when you do need innings, there are a lot of pitchers coming back from injuries and coming off of half seasons, if you will, some coming off of, of no seasons, right, in terms of Casey Mize. So you get a guy that's going to be able to help you stabilize the rotation Also, he brings this veteran presence. He's somebody who he knows the game. He knows what's going on in the mound. He understands, you know, analytics and the in-depth reports. Like he's all about those kind of things. He wants to try to find every which way to get better. I think he's going to bring a lot to the Tigers in that way. And then also he opens the door for the Tigers to continue to recruit players from Japan, which I think is probably the biggest part of this signing. I think it probably is going to have like the longest impact. I mean, Kenta Maeda, like, He's a guy who was with the Dodgers and when he signed out of Japan, he had an eight-year deal with the Dodgers. And for most of that deal, he got shuffled to the bullpen and didn't really get paid what he was supposed to end up getting paid because he got pushed to the pen. He had incentives that he was supposed to get for starts and for games or for starts and for innings. And the Dodgers pretty much didn't let him reach those to the max. And so the Dodgers kind of screwed him over. He gets traded to the Twins. and, And now he has a chance to pitch what could be the final two seasons of his big league career with the Detroit Tigers. And I think leave a lasting impact on both the organization, but also too down the road, whether it's this off season, next off season, or in the future, the Tigers are going after a player from Japan. They're going to call Kenta Maeda. And what he says is going to hold a lot of weight. And so I think this is a really good opportunity for the Tigers in that way. As for Kenta Maeda, he looked at the Tigers and he said, Hey, look, I think they can be world series champions. I think they can be a winning team in 2024 And once you're in, as you know, anything can happen. Look no further than the Arizona Diamondbacks. I think he sees an opportunity to win here over the next two years. Whether that World Series is, you know, this year or next year, probably more next year, maybe even beyond than that. But like, look, he sees a team that can win. He sees a team that can win the American League Central. He's pitched for the Minnesota Twins, so he knows what the Central is like. He's aware of the young talent. He thinks the Tigers can be a contending team. 
He wants to help in any way possible. He just seems like he's got a really good head on his shoulders. Some of the Tigers are lucky to bring in. And he seems excited to be here too. So that's a good thing. Been in the playoffs five out of the last six years. Remind everybody who his agent is again. Scott Boris. And we should not forget that. It's always good to make a deal from time to time with Scott Boris because Scott Boris is the best stable of players in the world. So it's always good to make a deal with him. And that's really all I got to say about that. But it shouldn't be lost. It's a good thing. So how do you think it impacts on what other opportunities the Tigers may be able to take what they're building as somewhat of a surplus in starting pitching and try to spin it into other roster moves? Yeah, the question is what happens next for the Tigers. Like, I I don't really know where they're at when you really look at the fact that They've added Kenta Maeda. They have a ton of right-handed starting pitchers. They have one left-handed starting pitcher in Tarek Skubal, assuming that we're not counting Joey Wentz at this point. I don't think we should. So they got a lot of right-handed starters. They probably need another lefty starter. They're going to keep looking for pitching upgrades. That's what Scott Harris has come out and said that he wants to do, is look for more pitching. I'm assuming that's starting pitching and relief pitching. I wouldn't be surprised to add a starting pitcher. I think they probably could use a left-handed pitcher. But also, like, I don't really see a ton of areas where the Tigers need to upgrade. It doesn't seem like they're desperately in need of offensive upgrades. Or if they weren't to do anything with starting rotation, I think their rotation would actually be okay. I mean, you'd have Skubal, Maeda, Olsen, Manning, Mize, Gibson Long, Kyder Montero, maybe Wilmer Flores, but I'm leaning Wilmer Flores bullpen at this point. But still, like, I just rattled off a handful of names, and that's not even counting you know, Jackson Job, who's going to come up at some point later in the season, Ty Madden maybe as well. Like they do have some good pitching depth, a lot of right-handed depth, but they don't really need to add to the rotation. They could, and, and, and it's probably smart to do so. But if they were to stand pat just across the board, I don't know if I would be entirely shocked. I don't think they will do that, but they seem like they've got a pretty good group together. I don't really know if they need to make any major upgrades. I think they'll be, as we've discussed many times, I think they're going to be in on Imanaga. This depends if Imanaga is in on them and what the price is. But I think they'll be in it. And, you know, I think if that's the case, there's some things that it really opens up for them to do. And we'll get to some of that later in the show. But I I have some thoughts about that. And I think they could use a surplus to really upgrade the team if they're able to pull that off. I mean, the Tigers are one or two chess moves away from going from being kind of interesting, and I think the world thinks they're kind of interesting right now. If you listen to A.J. Hinch's interview earlier this week on uh, Foul Territory, I think the baseball world actually is kind of paying attention, but I think they're two moves away from really being interesting, and we'll discuss a little bit how they can do that. So, all right. Made up. I also saw you did something that you like to do. It's part of the Petzold way of crafting timelines into where are the Tigers at. And you came out with your first Tiger lineup 1.0 of the year here in December. It's, it's a primitive version. It's almost like an oil check of where they're at. So you want to quickly touch on what you discussed in that particular article this week. Question two of the big two, by the way. Yeah, it's just a breakdown of kind of where the Tigers are at right now and, you know, kind of does look at maybe areas where they could continue to upgrade. I mean, I'll run you all through it right now, but Jake Rogers at catcher, Spencer Torkelson at first base, Colt Keith at second base, Javier Baez at shortstop, Matt Veerling at third base. Don't groan. Mark Canna in left field, Parker Meadows in center field, Riley Green in right field, Kerry Carpenter at designated hitter. I've got Carson Kelly, Justin Henry Malloy, Andy Abanez in surprise, Nick Maton coming off the bench. I've also got Tarek Skubal, Kent Maeda, Reese Olsen, Matt Manning, Casey Mize in the rotation. And then I have the bullpen right now, Jason Foley, Alex Lang, Will Vest, Tyler Holton, Bo Brisky, Alex Vito, Joey Wentz, and Miguel Diaz. So that's a quick look at 26 players I think are going to make the team at this point. But again, all that could change, right? Like the Tigers, obviously, you know, maybe they could use a guy like Andrew Chafin, right? They really could use a left-handed high leverage reliever coming out of the pen. That's huge. They have 
you know, three guys that fit that mold in Jason Foley, Alex Lang, Will Vest. They fit the one inning high leverage mold, but those are all righties. So how about a lefty to complement those three righties? Andrew Chafin, I think, could be a really good option for them who probably could get a call, sign a cheap one-year contract, rebuild his market again in an age 34 season. That might not be a bad idea. Another idea too, Yuki Matsui, a left-handed reliever from Japan. You're probably going to have to go two years for him, but if you can get him, you might want to take him. He's been a closer in the Japanese league, and he could be a good option to continue building that pipeline if you miss out on an Imanaga. Even looking at the rotation, right? Let's look at some low-cost lefty starters in the free agent market. James Paxton, Sean Manaya, Wade Miley. Sounds like he's going to go back to the Milwaukee Brewers, according to some reports from Ken Rosenthal and, and others. But there's also Alex Wood, Martin Perez. I'm not fond of Martin Perez, but I think Paxton, Manaya, Alex Wood could be options. And then obviously Imanaga being the most expensive left-handed starter option. One thing that's fascinating is I did hear even after the Tigers had gone out inside Kenta Maeda that they made a competitive offer for Luis Severino who signed with the New York Mets. So does that mean the Tigers are open to adding a, another right-handed pitcher on a one-year contract? Maybe. If they are interested in another righty, that opens up a whole other world of opportunities. But I do think they could benefit from a left-handed starter, a left-handed reliever. And that's kind of what my story tends to, you know, kind of explain as I break down where their roster is at at this point. Headlined, newcomers fill big roles, but holes still exist because I do think there are still some holes on this roster. All right. As far as your roster goes, it's not worth arguing about in December. You know, I'm not going to argue about bench guys and bullpen guys now. It's just way too early. There's too much stuff to do. We'll get there in February. We'll, we'll, we'll get there on that. Yeah, Miley's going to go back. That's a DM I, I sent Ev early in the week. I, after looking at Wade Miley, I was like, damn, Wade Miley's been pretty damn good the last three years. That might be a guy worth at least talking to for a year. But I think he likes the Brewers, likes the manager, the new manager. And I find it highly likely that he returns there on a deal. He's had a good career there. So, all right, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about a Mark Gorosh big trade idea. We'll be back in a minute. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, Ev, I've been doing some homework on something this week. I have not discussed it with you intentionally because I want your raw reaction to the insanity that I'm going to try to cause now. And we're going to give the Days of Roar listeners a chance to get an idea how Evan Petzold and Mark Gorosh, who talk pretty often, workshop ideas and trade ideas together. A lot of times we start out and think it's a good idea, realize it's a bad idea, but there's a lot of times the absolute reverse happens and we start on something and end up thinking, man, that's a great idea. And I think the Imanaga idea is uh, a testament to that. So is the Meta idea. So here's what I'm going to drop on you. Let's hear it. Insane. You know, I, the one team in the major leagues I never trust to do things in a traditional way. They always are doing something. You shake your head and go, why the hell are they doing that? And it always seems to work. They won 99 games last year. Their best player ended up having to leave the team in August. And there hasn't been a word about what's going to happen to him. So I've seen multiple rumors, and I don't understand why, that the Tampa Bay Rays may be willing to discuss trading Isak Paredes. And I just want to know why. Why would you trade a $3 million third baseman who had the highest WRC plus of any third baseman in Major League Baseball this year, walks over 10% of the time, hit 31 homers, 
And we can debate his age because his age is anywhere between 25 and 51. We don't, <laughs> we don't really know, but we're pretty sure it's not 25. He's listed but, at 20, he's listed at 24 years and 288 days as of right now. 24 years, 41 days. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> well, listen, you know, at least he doesn't bring his grandchildren to the park. Now, regardless of how Tampa Bay acquired Isak Paredes, let's not debate how good he is. All right. And we'll get to that in a second because lots of people in our world love to talk about how the data, the raw data and the metrics of Isak Paredes scream, he's not good. And we'll get to that in a second because it's just a big joke that they don't understand what they're looking at. But if it's true and he was available to trade, I gave it a lot of thought and I immediately started burning a fire in my backyard, trying to send smoke signals to Scott Harris's house in Birmingham, urging him aggressively to make a trade for Isak Paredes. Why? I kind of look at it this way. You have the duo of Spencer Torkelson and Riley Green, right, left, really good. If you added Sock Paredes to play third base with Colt Keith at second base, now you have Keith and Paredes, another right, left, both probably going to hit over 20 bombs, both going to walk 10% of the time, both young, both controllable. and. If he really is available to deal, and he might be, the question would become, how much were you willing to pay for Isak Paredes, forgetting that you got your pocket picked based upon health issues the first time you made a trade? So let's go back to this, and I'm asking you realistically, do you think Tampa Bay is actually shopping Sock Paredes? Maybe. I mean, I wouldn't be entirely shocked. I think if you look at the hard hit rate, it's dropped from 2022 to 2023. Look, we know what Isak Paredes does well. He pulls the ball and he hits pull side home runs. That's all he does. That's the only thing that he does. And obviously, of course, you know, he has really good whiff rates, chase rates, strikeout rates, walk rates, like all those are are in the red. If you go on Baseball Savant, you go take a peek at what he does well. I mean, the guy doesn't chase. He doesn't swing and miss. He doesn't strike out and he draws a lot of walks. And those are really good things. So you combine that with the pull side power that he's been able to tap into since the trade happened. Yeah, like that's intriguing. I think that that a lot of teams would find value in a player like that. But the question is, how much longer does it last? I mean, there, there, it does concern me the fact that the hard hit rate has gone down. You know, the expected batting average is no good. The expected slugging percentage is no good. Average exit velocity, that's no good. Like, those are all numbers that are significantly below average. And I understand what makes him good as the pole side home run. But at some point, you wonder, does that really hold up over the next three years? You know, does that hold up yeah. over the next three, four years? I'm not so sure it does. Maybe, but like, who's to say that it does? And I'm not sure I'm willing to count on that. I'm also not really sure I'm willing to count on Isak Paredes locking down the hot corner or, or playing second base. I, I think that that's something to no, kind of think twice not. about too. I think he's an okay defender. I don't think he's a good defender. He's kind of like a Jace Young type defender maybe, and which is kind of what the Tigers are going to have anyway if they don't make a move like this. So I, I don't know. I don't know how I feel about it. Would I, would I be surprised if the Rays traded him? No, because of the fact that I do think that there is there's some regression concern, I think. I really do. Okay. So if that's the case, and those are all valid points, and Jace Young is a perfect example of what... I, th I think Isaac Paredes is the good version of what Jace Young can be, okay? And he's not much younger than Isaac Paredes. So basically, what you have is a much more finished version, a more expensive version, but you have the known versus the unknown, but stylistically, probably very similar, right? So my question starts becoming to you, if you could add a player who's going to hit two, 
four, five in your lineup, knowing what he's done the last two years, he's continued to improve his productivity. What are you willing to pay for him in trade? Because you know if Tampa's going to move him, they could use cheap, controllable, inexpensive starters. So you're going to have to go there immediately. So I would offer Reese Olsen as piece number one. And if you're going to acquire Sock Paredes and you're going to play Cole Keith at second base, then I'm going to say that I'm willing to include Jace Young in a trade. So now we're at Reese Olsen and Jace Young for Isak Paredes, and you're probably going to have to take back Manuel Margot. That would be the biggest incentive reason why Tampa would want to make a trade is to get rid of payroll. So now you got a guy, you're going to have to pay $9.5 million to be your fourth outfielder, kind of plays like Matt Beerling. But at the same time, all of a sudden now, you have a really good third baseman, a new power-hitting second baseman. You have a much more potent lineup. You dealt from depth. If you sign Imanaga, you won't even miss Reese Olsen. And you got, all of a sudden now, you have Carpenter, Rogers, and Baez as peripheral players, okay? And Parker Meadows. So you are quite a different team just by adding one guy who has a 4.2 war third baseman, walk 10% of the time and hit 31 homers, of which he would have hit 29 homers using Savant if he was playing in Comerica who's supposedly somewhere between, as I said, 25 and 51 years old. And you, you've filled a, a hole that Matt Veerling was going to play third base previously. So it seems kind of overpaying and crazy, yet all of a sudden you have a pretty balanced left-right lineup with a lot of power, pretty deep pitching, and you can make it really deep pitching by signing Imanaga. So if you sign Imanaga and trade for Isak Paredes, what kind of team do you think the Tigers would have after that? What if you can't get Imanaga? If you can't get Imanaga, I still got Jackson Job coming sometime this year, and I still got some starters, man. I mean, where does Margo? Where does Mar- where would Margo fit in? I mean, do you just eat that twelve million and then it's nine point five? I mean, not, not nine point five million. I'm probably going to try to spin him off, even if I have to eat some of his salary if I get a. 4.2 war third baseman. <laughs> I, I, mean, I think I think it's I think it's an overpay, but that's just me. And also, I don't know about making deals with Tampa Bay. That's dancing with the devil there. I get it. Those are all things that are true. All I'm saying is, if you want to be good, you got to be willing to take risk. And if you're going to take some risk, one place I love to take risk is with starting pitchers. You know why? How reliable are starting pitchers? Reese Olsen's got some nasty stuff. Yeah, that's, that's right. Reese Olsen is also a pitcher. He's a right-hand pitcher. His arm could fall off tomorrow, and he could revert to having bad command in 15 minutes. Also, too, I don't know, and I wasn't going to say this, but now I'll say it. I don't know how I feel about Isak Paredes in terms of fitting the clubhouse culture of what, they've, what they're trying to build. Like I, I've heard stories about him in the minor leagues Maybe not being the greatest of teammates. Like that was that was something that was tossed around. I don't know to the extent of that. I don't know what the extent of that is, but that was something that I had heard. So I figured at least just toss it out there and and make that known. I, I don't know how accurate that is or how deep that goes, but it was brought up to me a couple of times. I'm gonna revisit three facts for you again. How many games did Tampa Bay win this year? I know. How many? 99. Where did Isak Paredes hit in the Tampa Bay lineup? Uh, cleanup. Mm-hmm. And 4.2 war as a third baseman. Yeah, 30-plus homers, 250 batting average, 252 on-base percentage, 840 okay. OPS, 143 so, games, tossing 24 doubles. Right. So, you know, I get it, but... I get it. So I'm just bringing it up, trying to have some fun. You're at the winter meetings, and all I'm saying is you want to be good, be good. It's not like you're changing, not like you're giving away 
the best prospect we have. You're giving away a prospect that used to not be a prospect, that you turned into a pretty good prospect, that you probably got a guy who's not vastly different in Sawyer Gibson Long than Reese Olsen. And I think Reese Olsen's the kind of guy that Tampa would like. I think you might have to include Jay Shung. And as I said before, you're getting Sack Paredes back. Jay Shung, not exactly somebody you'd need to worry about too much. So I would do Matt Manning for Paredes straight up. Yeah, well, they're not. Matt Manning's only got three years of control left. Reese Olsen has six or at least five. So that's how Tampa Bay thinks. So give it some thought. Let it sink in. No, it's a little outrageous. It's even outrageous for me. But is it that outrageous? Is it a trade that Dave Dombrowski would like to try to make? How about Alex Anthropoulos? Would he try to make that deal? Probably. All right. So I know that you've been doing some homework and you're hey, probably going to... For, for, for the record, Manning and Paredes, both free agents after the 2027 season. So... Yeah. So... Same uh, years of control. I hear you. Tampa's going to want to improve themselves, not make a sideways move. So I think they prefer Reese far more than they would prefer Matt Manning. I would agree. All right. I know you've been doing some homework because, and you alluded to it a little earlier, which was you think the Tigers are going to start making, I've noticed that a lot younger, more talented players from Japan, Korea, et cetera, are starting to come across. And it's been your belief for a while, you've talked to me about this even during the season, that you think in the new age of baseball and the new age of the Tigers front office that they're going to make a lot stronger commitment and try to be a much bigger presence to at least try to leverage that pipeline of players coming over. I, I, I want you to share a little bit about that. You know, you've been doing homework on it and maybe... You got some thoughts about it. Yeah, so stories finally coming out.com. By the time that this podcast goes out, the story will be posted online. I've been talking about it for a long time, all off season. I heard about it kind of midway through, maybe towards like the back end, somewhere in there of the baseball season, uh, the regular season. Somebody had mentioned to me, hey, look, the Tigers are going to be in on players from Japan. Like that's that's gonna that's gonna start to happen. And so obviously I kind of put that in the back pocket and did some digging throughout you know, the end of the season into the off season. And yeah, I mean, look, the Tigers have been non-existent in Japan for 20 years. Like they haven't done much of anything since they signed the guy back in 1998. And Scott Harris wants to change that situation. He wants the Tigers to be real competitors for players in the Asian markets, specifically in Japan, kind of like the Dodgers are, the Yankees and the Cubs. And I think like, it's going to be an uphill battle. It's going to be a climb. Like again, the Tigers are basically starting at ground zero and trying to catch up to teams like the Dodgers and the Yankees and the Cubs who have significant advantages, right? Whether it's having a large Japanese community, whether it's being on the West Coast, whether it's, you know, being on a, you know, East Coast that also has a, a large Japanese community. Like those are things that other teams have to their advantage. But one person I did talk to said that if anybody can do it and kind of go from, you know, level zero you know, and try to make this catch up, right? Come from behind and establish Detroit as a destination for Japanese players to take into consideration. I was told it's probably Scott Harris and Jeff Greenberg doing this together as president of baseball operations and general manager. A lot of that comes from, you know, the way in which they went about things when they both worked for the Cubs under Theo Epstein and just trying to find value in as many ways as possible. So yeah, the Tigers are going to go that route. Like that is the direction they're going. I think we saw that with the Kenta Maeda deal. That's bigger than just, Kenta Maeda coming to pitch for the Tigers in 2024 and 2025. That is opening the door to further deals. The big three out there to really know about right now is Yoshinobu Yamamoto, Shota Imanaga, and obviously Yuki Matsui as well. Matsui being a reliever, the other two being starters. We'll see if the Tigers land those guys, but it's, it's beyond that, right? They're looking to narrow the gap, try to catch up. And some of the things they're doing right now behind the scenes, they're increasing the amount of trips to Japan and Korea for their senior evaluators. That's Rob Metzler, assistant general manager, and Chip Lawrence, global cross-checker. Those are the two guys there who are making more trips to Japan and Korea. Kan Akita, who worked for Team Japan and won the gold medal in the World Baseball Classic. He's moving from the advanced scouting department to the Tigers' front office. He has a deep network of contacts in Japan, relationships with almost all the players overseas. That's somebody that you want on your side when you're trying to go out and recruit and make a pitch. And, and not only... 
you know, evaluating the talent, but then also trying to reel them in and, and, and make it a real thing. They've also invested uh, additional data and video resources to help them improve their system to project how players from the Asian League, such as Japan's Nippon Professional Baseball, will perform after transitioning to the big leagues. That's really important too, because they want to be able to have more data, more video that's going to be able to show them, hey, look, and that's like like Hawkeye data, right? Well, that's that stuff that you can line up with. Hey, what does this look like when a player comes to the big leagues? How is their body going to move against certain pitches? Like there are so much that you can do deep dives into those kind of things. So the Tigers are beefing up the analytics that way. So yes, like a lot of good things going in the right direction. This does not mean that the Tigers are there. They have not arrived. They are not going to be wowing Yoshinobu Yamamoto or Shohei Otani or maybe even Shota Imanaga. Like they might not end up with any of the pitchers, but it sets them up for the future. They might swing and miss this offseason, but you sign Maeda, you implement changes to the scouting efforts. I think those things are going to pay off at some point in the future and they could pay off in a really big way. The Tigers haven't signed a player directly from Japan since Masasao Kaida in November 1998. Next one that signs is going to be number two directly from Japan. So that tells you where they're at and where they're trying to go. I think wherever talent exists, Tigers need to be in on it. Period. End of story. You know, the bottom line is they've been pretty deficient at identifying multiple streams of talent over the last decade for sure. And you could go maybe even further and deeper than that. And I like what they're doing. You know, the influx of players from Japan has only picked up in frequency and the quality of players has only improved. So makes total sense starting to devote resources to it. And I'm glad they're trying to explore every possible avenue to adding talent to their system. That's what the entire premise of having a good baseball team is built upon. So as I used to say, don't call it a rebuild. It's a team build. And the point is, I don't care where you are, how much you're winning, the idea is to always add talent and to have a sharper eye for it and work harder for it than other teams. I think, you know, teams like the Dodgers and the Braves epitomize that. They leave no stone unturned, constantly turning over their team, constantly adding talent, constantly trying to optimize talent. It's not a mistake. They keep winning all the time. So I'd like to see the Tigers try to do that. All right. We're going to take our last break. We'll be back in 60. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you haven't listened to it, AJ Hinch did a very, I, I tweeted it, I think you tweeted it, I think other local Tiger outlets for info tweeted it. But AJ Hinch was on a YouTube streaming platform that is really doing a great job of discussing baseball that I'm sure I'll see Evan Petzold's face on there at some point in time soon called Foul Territory. Scott Braun, AJ Pruszynski, I think Eric Kratz is on there. There's a few people, you know, major league experience and some good interviewers. Hinch was on for about a 25-minute interview this week said a lot of interesting things, pulled no punches, hid from nothing, you know, even discussed that he could see himself getting uh, his 1,000th victory in a Tiger uniform, which would probably put him beyond the two years he has left on his contract. He said, said some interesting things, you know, discussed a little bit about his philosophy, how he wanted to get better. He also discussed and made some references to one of Mark Gorosh's favorite players right now, the starting third baseman for the Detroit Tigers, seemingly. Matt Veerling had a few references to Matt, his growing reputation as leader in the Tiger clubhouse, and likely uh, him starting the year at third base. I, I was curious 
I know you listened to the interview. What were your thoughts? I mean, you talked to AJ almost every day during the year. Uh, what was, you know, your take on some of the things he shared with everyone? Yeah, the idea of Matt Vierling kind of behind the scenes being that leader jumped out to me a little bit. But then as I kind of thought back to it, I was like, yeah, I kind of see that. I mean, not in the sense of Matt Vierling being a guy that's like always bouncing around the clubhouse and, and talking to people nonstop or, or up in everybody's face or whatnot. Like he just kind of does seem like that calm, steady presence in the clubhouse that I think every team needs. And so when I first heard that, I thought, yeah, I mean, not really. And then I thought back to it and I said, yeah, I guess I do get that. I mean, Matt Vierling is a guy who he hangs out around his locker like he's there. He's, you know, chit-chatting people when they walk by. But aside from that, like he's not up in everybody's grill, but he's somebody that you kind of know what you're going to get every single time. Every single day, you know what Matt Beerling's bringing you. And I think that there's something to be said about that behind the scenes from a leadership standpoint. So yeah, I've been talking about Matt Beerling as the third baseman now for a while. The Tigers believe in him at the hot corner. It's ever since cutting Jammer Candelario at the beginning of last offseason, Tigers had to answer these questions. This is the second year in a row that they're going to have to answer questions. We have, again, places like foul territory going out there and saying that they're going to sign Matt Chapman. Like that's not happening. They're not signing Matt Chapman foul territory. <laughs> Sorry to burst your bubble, but they're not doing that. So yeah, like it's, it's Matt Beerling's job. And then at some point though, the Tigers plan for Jace Young to come up and play third base. He's switched from second base to third base for his Arizona fall league assignment. He could make his MLB debut in the second half of the 2024 season. The Tigers believe he is coming. They think he's coming fast. That's why Matt Chapman is not happening. And look, if Matt Beerling's going to hold you over, Matt Beerling's going to hold you over. I think that's really what it comes down to. And at some point when Jace Young comes up, Matt Beerling develops into like this true utility type bench player between corner outfield, third base. Like that's kind of where he fits. I, I, I don't have a problem with that. I don't have a problem with Matt Beerling holding you over to start the year and then allowing that to open to Jace Young. I know, Mark, go ahead, jump in, say what you got to say, but you, you understand like, you make a move for Isak Paredes and you trade Jace Young and you, you, you trade Reese Olsen for, for what? Like, what if Jace Young is better than Isak Paredes? Like, I get your point, but at the same time, I think Matt Beerling holds you over. And I'm going to keep saying this. I don't think that 2024 is the Tigers' year. If they get to the playoffs, if they win the American League Central in 2024, I do think that's going to be a year early when it comes to their timeline that they maybe have internally. That's an assumption for me, but I think that's really where it's at. So if Matt Veerling starts at third base and he plays you at third base, so you can wait to see what you have in Jace Young, you're going to do that. And if for some reason it's enough and it all works out and you know what, third base production's fine over the course of the year, then great. Then you feel really good about yourself going into 2025. Well, you know, I think my feelings about Matt as a player are pretty clear. I've used lots of ways to describe it, mostly factual. I don't think he has power. I don't think, you know, his hitting mechanics are ever going to allow him to hit for power. I think he's an outfielder. Which will always who, cap his ceiling. That will always well, cap his ceiling. Correct. The lack of power. He, he not, not a great clutch hitter, not a great extra base power hitter. And I think he's a really talented athlete, extremely talented to be able to play third base, even though he was an act shortstop. He plays it competently. I don't, I don't think he plays it well, but I don't think he's a Nick Castellanos there either. But I think he's a placeholder. I think you described it well. And you, you know me, I'm much more always searching for an opportunity to go for it because the teams that win go for it. If you're not willing to take a risk, you're not willing to win. So... I think, uh, you know, Baltimore is going to find that out right now. You know, Baltimore has done a great job of rebuilding their team, but they got boosted from the playoffs in about 15 seconds. They got a ton of system depth, and they're going to have to transition from being good in the regular season, understanding nobody remembers when you're good in the regular season if you don't win a few playoff series. But the and, Tigers haven't even been good in the regular season. Well, the same thing was said of the Arizona Diamondbacks during last winter, and look what ended up happening. If you're afraid to go for it, you are Yeah, but they didn't, they, they, didn't go, they, didn't, they didn't go for it like that. Let's not, let's not act like they went out there and they 
had World Series aspiration with the roster they put together. They, they overperformed in some ways. They had some young guys come up and produce in a way in which maybe people didn't expect them to. Like there, there were moves that were made that were shrewd, right? But it's also because those players ended up performing. So I do think well, that look, there is a, a little bit true. of a balance there. There's a little bit of a dance you got you to gotta, you gotta do. And at the same time, when the train started going off the tracks in July, they traded for a closer. They brought up a guy who'd been in AAA up and down for five years and totally scrapped that back end of their bullpen and went to a new back end of their bullpen. And if you ask who had the best back end of the bullpen in the playoffs last year, the bottom line is if you don't go for it, you're always going to tell yourself, yeah, next year. Well, Tigers looked a lot at next year. And so far, Casey Mize hasn't quite developed the way they thought. Now got TJ, then missed the year. Now it's coming back. Matt Manning is going into his fourth season, has teased you, has traded between being inconsistent and injured all the time. Finally, this year, Jakey Rogers was a man. That took three years. They've gone through all kinds of iterations. So if you keep pushing the ball down the road to be good, you're probably never going to be good. I'll give you another example. Chicago White Sox had way better talent in the pipeline and on the verge and looked like they were going to be good. What happened to that? That's imploded. They're back to square one. They're selling off the parts. Okay? You go for it when you have a chance to go for it. You always got to try to be good. And in a division this mediocre, the Twins are going to be good. The Twins know what they're doing. The Twins are also strangely good every other year. The Tigers got an opportunity. It's either carpe diem or tell yourself a story. That's what they got to decide which one they want to do. See, what worries me about you, Mark, is sometimes I feel like you just want to make moves to make moves, like the Esau Paredes for Jace Young and Reese Olsen. That that seems like you're just making a move to make a move, and you're getting Manuel Margot back. Like, come on now. Like, I, and again, I don't, I don't love it. Actually, I hate it. I think it's pointless. I don't really understand the point of trading away a guy like Reese Olsen, who has nasty stuff, who, look, you go back to last year, if the Tigers would have gotten into the playoffs last year, let's just say, Who's starting those playoffs? Who's starting the, the who's starting the first playoff series for you? Right. Well, I mean, so, you have Tarek Skubal, Reese Olsen, and Eduardo Rodriguez, right? Like those are your three guys in your rotation that they would have had last year. Olsen's in that mix get, for a reason. Yeah, you want me to give you want me to give you the other side of this discussion that you're leaving out? If we were having the discussion about Reese Olsen on about the 10th of August, his ERA was over five. So yes. Oh, let's not, act, let's, not, let's not act like you were, you were apologizing for your early thoughts about him when he got called up. No, and was I, listen, I, I am always happy to admit when I was wrong. And yes, his last 39 innings were a revelation. But let's not all of a sudden call Reese Olsen the, the end of the world because he had a great last six weeks of the season where he reduced his ERA, you know, a 1.3 runs. He was almost a five ERA up to that point in time, you know, in 70 innings. So against some bad teams too. You're right. I got it. Doesn't matter who it was against. They all, they all count brother. They don't ask you if you won that night, if you beat the first place team or the last place team, they just put it in the left side of the column at the end of the year, you count up how many you won and that's how it works out. But what I'm saying to you is if I can get, a guy that had the highest WRC plus of all third basemen in Major League Baseball, who hit 30 homers, who is a 4.2 war, who is going to be a plug-and-play player for the next four years at a minimum on a team that's ready to win now. And what I'm giving up is a guy that's a year and a half away from maybe, if everything works out right, being that same guy and a right-handed relief pitcher that had a 5 ERA in the second week of August, I'm doing that deal all day. If I have to take $9 million of salary for a fourth outfielder that's good enough to get 450 at-bats playing for a team that won 99 games, 
Well, that's the cost of doing business. I don't have to pay them in 2025. I'm only paying them for a year. You got a team that's a $65 million payroll. So we can play this tit for tat game all year. The bottom line is, is I got a lineup I can bring out there 162 games now. I got Keith playing second, Paredes playing third. I got Metals now playing center. I got Canna Carpenter and Green, the other two outfield positions plus DH. I'm I'm good to go. Let's go. So, you know, I, I'm not going to apologize for the idea. I still don't think Tampa Bay is trading their cleanup hitter who performs so well, who costs $3.2 million. And if you want them, you got to pay for them. Dave Dombrowski never had a problem paying. Alex Anthropolis never has a problem paying. It's a cost of doing business if you want to be good. That's the bottom line. So, you know, it's... It's a difference of an opinion about how to build a baseball team. And that's what's fun about Days of Roar because as much as you and I agree all the time, we disagree often about how to do things. And it's not that one person's right, one person's wrong. It's just we have a different perspective how to do it. I wanted to, before we get out of here and you're in Nashville, and if the Tigers do some things, Ev told me we'll, We'll do an emergency pod if they actually do something down there. So just know that and pay attention because we will do it if the Tigers make a deal. But there's a couple of relievers I thought were worth looking into down there and maybe you can do uh, a little reconnaissance on it. But I thought Robert Stevenson, who had just a ridiculous last 10 weeks for Tampa after being a journeyman for three teams um, prior to that, crazy whiff rate, changed his pitch mix, got optimized by Tampa like the other 27 relievers have done in the last few years. And, I, you know, the guy Suter on left-hander soft tosser from Colorado is a really strange pitcher, doesn't throw over 88 and seems to get tons and tons of people out as a lefty. So both guys kind of interesting. I also thought somebody worth looking into is Kirby Yates. Was really, really good for a lot of years. Was a closer. Was good for Atlanta last year. His ERA was as low as 270 into September. Gave up four runs in one of his final outings of the year. Had a really high rock rate, which was strange for him. But all those guys are free agent relievers worth keeping an eye on. And, you know, there'll be things percolating that the best baseball beat writer in America, I'm sure, will put his ear to the ground and do a little detective work and talk to some people and find out a few things tomorrow. So, got any thoughts on any of those relievers? Yeah, I mean, we'll see what comes up. I think Robert Stevenson's a great name at the same time. He's probably looking for a multi-year deal, two years, maybe even three years. I mean, look, what he did in Tampa Bay is obviously proven but this is a guy that, that can repeat it. He can do it. He understands what he has to do. You know, he threw... I think it was the cutter that he, I think he took over. I think he went cutter instead of slider when he went to Tampa Bay as like his go-to breaking ball type pitch and basically ditched the slider by September, leaned into the cutter a ton. And, you know, he was electric. He was an electric factory. Teams are going to look at that. They're going to see that he can do it. Now we just have to bring him on board and have him keep continue to do it over and over and over again. So he probably gets a multi-year deal because of the way that he finished out. I mean, also he doesn't really walk guys which is impressive as well. So when you finish that strong in Tampa Bay and you also you know limit the walks and you're able to rack up those kind of strikeouts, you've got to be thinking at least two-year deal if you're Robert Stevenson. So, I mean, I'll do some digging. I'll see what I can find out. But the one name that I do really like is Andrew Chafin. I know, you know I brought that up a couple of times now where I think that would make a lot of sense. I don't think that you have to, if you're the Tigers, you don't have to go to him right now. I think you can maybe wait a little bit longer and then check in on him a little bit deeper but he's a guy that's a one-year guy, right? He's a one-year deal type guy, straight one-year deal, no question about it. People forget that in 2022, when he was with the Tigers, he had a 2.83 ERA, 19 walks, 67 strikeouts, and 57 in a third inning. Turned down the option to uh, stay with the Tigers for 2023, instead became a free agent, signed with the Arizona Diamondbacks. The Tigers had interested in bringing him back last year, but just not as much as he wanted. I really like Andrew Chafin as a lefty out of the pen. I think it's an easy get for the Tigers. He loves Detroit. He's close to his home in Ohio. And that's, there's, no, there's nothing more than a slam dunk than that. It was a slam dunk last offseason. I think it's a slam dunk again this offseason if they want to go that route. Yeah, I think that's... You, know, you should take the easy ones when you can get it. Chafin was really 
solid for Detroit in 2022. And it's probably a very good ad for them if they still have interest in that. All right, man, I want you to have a good time. I want you to try to get some sleep tonight because I know you probably won't get any sleep for the next two nights. It's the winter meetings. And, you know, there's your buddies from all over the country all going to be congregated in the lobby. And I hope you can find some interesting things to write. And hopefully the Tigers do some things and we can do an emergency pod. All right. I'd like to remind everybody to rate, share, and subscribe and comment. Uh, you can find us wherever you listen to podcasts, especially at thefreep.com. I've just got a big article, as I said, coming out on the Tigers' interest in beefing up their pipeline from Japan this week. Talk to some interesting people. As always, I'd like to thank our executive producers, Kirk Crawford and Anjanette Delgado. I'd also like to thank Nicole Avery Nichols, Free Press Editor. I would like to thank my grandson, Braden Michael Gorosh, for being always such a good boy. And he made some cookies I saw today. Such a cute little boy. And to Savannah, Evan will be home in three days. So I'd like to hope that everyone's going to have a good holiday season. Maybe we'll see you in a few days. And with that, I go, I got to tell you, peace. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.